0: Ah uh-huh. guide to politics I am Liz Philippos and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation each week I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment The possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. Today, I'm so happy to be talking to Sally Kempton, a popular meditation and yoga teacher. Sally has been on a dedicated spiritual path for the last 45 years and has been studying and teaching the wisdom of yoga She's a highly regarded teacher of meditation and spiritual philosophy and writes the popular yoga journal column called Wisdom. Sally teaches retreats, teleclasses, and workshops internationally. She's known for her gift of making yogic wisdom relevant to daily life. She's also known for transmitting deep states of meditation. She wrote the book, Meditation for the Love of It, and she also wrote Awakening shakti the transformative power of the goddesses of yoga I'm so glad we're talking today yeah I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your path and what led you to teach and write non dual wisdom traditions
1: yeah I started out as a secular downtown bohemian somewhat typical left-wing political seeker In my late 20s, I had a spiritual opening through a psychedelic trip in the middle of writing a novel. The novel was about everything that can go wrong between men and women, so I was very focused on relationships and gender issues and really feminist issues. One night, I took a psychedelic drug with my new boyfriend, And we were sitting in my living room listening to a Grateful Dead record, and I suddenly had this radical recognition that the universe was, is made of love, not something that had ever occurred to me before. It was a moment of radical recognition that the way I had been living and the way I had been thinking of life was wrong instead of being gnarly and difficult and something that needed to be figured out i saw underneath it all was love of course i woke up in the morning and the psychedelic had worn off and my experience was no longer that the universe was filled with love but it had changed my priorities and i began looking for a way to bring my normal daily experience in line with that insight and that was what started me meditating that was how i entered the path
0: Where did that lead you from there?
1: You know, in those days, there were not a ton of options. I began following the breadcrumb trail, which is always present. When you begin wanting to know the deeper truth of life, a path presents itself. And it eventually led me to my teacher, Swami Muktananda, who was a very traditional Indian master in certain respects. He taught a path in which Kundalini, the secret energy of awakening, which is in every human being, he taught a path in which that energy is awakened through contact with the teacher and then begins a spontaneous unfolding. And what I had realized is that I had had a spontaneous awakening but didn't know how to work with it. So through my relationship with my teacher, through his teachings, through serving him, working with him, and studying under his guidance, I began to work with my mind, work with my body, study non-dual teachings that eventually really transformed the way I see the world, the way I see myself. And in a very natural way, I began to write and teach these insights that come from the non-dual tantric tradition and eventually to work with students of my own. It's been a very natural unfoldment. In my experience, when you apply the viewpoint of a non-dual tradition, that is, the understanding that... Behind the apparent differences in life, there is an underlying unity. When you cultivate that experience, not only through meditation, but by applying it to the day-to-day situations of your life, your perspective starts to change. I mean, there are many, many effects, but the basic shift is that you begin to be able to see behind the mass of the way life presents itself to the underlying unity and to recognize that in life... Even though there's a lot of natural pain in life, it's possible to meet it with an attitude that makes you find the happiness, the joy, the wisdom that's always present.
0: You're known for practical. Non dual wisdom. Could you say a bit about that? You know, it sounds very esoteric, the idea of a single Non-dual life. Non dual
1: wisdom. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. You know, as, as you know, the yogic traditions are filled with interventions, ways of looking at your life, and also ways of practicing that are very, very helpful in making life better. And among these are the various visualizations and affirmations that have actually become. Extremely popular in this culture, the sort of oprah interventions that we've become familiar with, such as practicing gratitude or looking at a situation in which you feel angry or upset and saying to yourself, Well, can I take another perspective on this, or how will I look at this situation if i if I understand that this other person is also seeking happiness or if i look at this situation and i say to myself same awareness is in this person as in me the same interest in being happier the same creative power of working with the situations of your life such that you're not so differentiated in understanding another person When we look at others not so much as radically different than ourselves, but as having qualities in common with us that we can seek out and become attuned to, this in and of itself will begin to make our lives happier, softer, less filled with hard edges and feelings of enmity towards others. Just being able to see another person as being somewhat like ourselves is going to make a difference. And I would say that the willingness to recognize unity, sameness, or likeness is probably the first step in starting to see the basic non-duality in the universe. I work with people to contemplate their actions and the results of their actions, to look into the world with a feeling of not recognizing the hard and fast boundaries of language and culture as being so radically separative. And these are interventions that pretty much anyone can start to work with because they don't ask you to look at things and deconstruct the physical world in any particular way. They're very practical, and yet The ability to be kind to others, to take a step back and take a deep breath before you speak and act, which are, again, very practical ways of working with the world. If you do them with an overall intention to see love or to see unity, little by little, those interventions, those ways of acting will begin to become natural and give rise to natural experiences of kindness towards others, And kindness from others. It's a kind of remarkable thing that simply looking at another person with the intention to see the same awareness and the same desire to be happy in that person is going to radically shift your understanding of them and your ability to interact with them.
0: Mm -hmm. How does meditation contribute to that non-dual awareness? In my experience, meditation is, first of all, the bottom line
1: of anybody's spiritual practice. What we do when we meditate is begin to turn our attention, which is almost always focused on what's going on outside and on our reactions to it, turn our attention backward into our self. And we can do it in very simple ways by focusing on the breath or repeating a word or just noticing what it feels like to sit and be aware of the sensations and thoughts in the body. And this attention to our own experience will in and of itself begin to settle us. It will begin to make us much less reactive in situations where we might have ordinarily flown off the handle, and it especially gives us a power to understand our own reactions, our own thoughts and feelings. We We begin to be observers of ourselves. Through meditation, you can start to notice not only the underlying beauty that our mind and our outgoing attention hides from us, we can also start to notice the reactions and the thinking patterns that stand in the way of it. So meditation is essentially activity that brings deeper insight and deeper ability to recognize the the profound capacity for wisdom and insight that everyone has within us and and that becomes a kind of a basis for shifting the way you work with others for finding inspiration for asking questions and receiving answers there's a meditation is really an activity that makes all sorts of inner transformations possible
0: in your description it sounds like this is partly where we cultivate the ability to pause
1: yeah the ability to
0: pause the ability and
1: also the ability to to see into ourselves Behind the patterns and tendencies of our personality
0: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. Uh, you know and for most of us, most of us live identifying with our personality and with the successes and failures that the personality uh, brings to, brings us and so learning how to see behind the personality to see the, the life force that works through the breath to feel into the body itself is tremendously freeing and nourishing in ways that you never realize until you have spent some time finding what your inner being has to give you in the moments that you're willing to stop and pause and turn inside.
0: Mm, mm -hmm, Beautiful. You've worked with many people over the years, people on a spiritual path and maybe even just starting a meditation practice. What is it that people most struggle with? When you first start to meditate, most
1: of us in this society have a fairly hard time sitting still and focusing. I won't go into all the ways in which our device habits keep us scattered. The tendency to not be willing to turn inside is very deeply rooted in us. When you sit for meditation, normally the first thing that happens is that you're struggling to sit still. When you turn to a meditation technique, which most meditation that's taught in this country now is some form of mindfulness. So people, generally speaking, will sit and focus on the breath or focus on the sensations in the body. And it's boring, you know, to be honest, (laughs) it's not very stimulating. What happens as you try to focus on the breath is that your thoughts come up and you get completely lost in thought trains. Very often, we have no idea how busy the mind is, how active the mind is, or even how negative the mind is until we sit for meditation and start trying to keep our mind on the breath or our mind on the mantra. We see what is going on in the mind and it's quite disconcerting at first. The main obstruction that comes up for most people, it's looking at your own mind that is the most problematic for most people. And if there are things that you would prefer not to think about, then... Very often when you first sit for meditation, and this goes on for a long time, the stuff that you've been hiding from yourself you know, starts to bubble up and you get to see it. And in my experience, this is one of the most positive effects of meditation because as you sit and notice the thoughts that are bubbling up and notice your tendency to follow every thought and to judge every thought and to get taken out by the thoughts and emotions that show up, In the process of meditation, in the process of noticing the thoughts or feelings and coming back to the breath or coming back to the mantra, you start to experience some freedom from what's going on in your mind. You start to realize that you are not what's going on in your mind, that you are not your thoughts, even though they have such a radical tendency to seem real so that you believe them. Mm -hmm. But you start to make that separation. And then you notice that when you step out of meditation, even though the meditation itself may not have felt very still or quiet, that there is a capacity that's starting to develop to stand aside from your thoughts and your reactive emotions and recognize that you are actually not the thoughts, but the one who is able to know the thoughts, to see the thoughts. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of true freedom. To be able to separate yourself from the thoughts and ideas and stories that you're telling yourself and recognize the freedom of your own awareness, that's the transformative shift that is going to change everything about your life if you can cultivate it.
0: Mm It's just good to be aware and be reminded that meditation is a practice. We come to a deeper awareness by sticking with it, even though it feels difficult or a struggle. And even just being on a spiritual path and being willing to have a deeper look at ourselves, as a practice. Because we're not really encouraged to do that, as you say. I wanted to note when you started the conversation that your spiritual path began with an awakening through a psychedelic experience. And I just wanted to note that what you followed with is to seek a teacher and to seek a practice that the opening in and of itself isn't sustainable without following through with something that supports that opening. Would you say that's true?
1: I would say that's completely true. The openings, the awakenings that we have through meditation or through a psychedelic or just spontaneously, because many, many people have spontaneous awakening experiences. Yoga class is one of the great arenas these days for those kinds of awakenings and openings. There can be incredible insight and powerful recognitions of your own beauty and your own capacity and your own connection that happen at such moments, but they are going to be evanescent unless you practice. What I would say about such awakening experiences is that they give us a glimpse of the freedom that is possible. There is a lot of literature out now by people who have had awakening experiences and followed the attitudes that arise through the awakening. So, for example, in an experience like mine where the fundamental feeling was of love, that sense of that unconditional love arises in you and you can start to feel what it feels like to be loving, to feel loved, to feel loving. You can find the felt sense of loving and apply it situations in your life which don't naturally instigate love in you the wisdom that you get from an awakening can really be used as a tool to cultivate awakened states of mind in the rest of your life
0: Mm.
1: does that make sense yeah absolutely
0: i'm glad we're talking about that because a lot of people are having the experience of that kind of awakening how to live with it how to walk with it and how to make it something that really enhances life and how to not
1: assume that because you had this experience last month, that you are now fully awakened and don't have to do anything else right. to, you know, Right. to cultivate that. On the spiritual path, there are two traps, I would say, that we tend to go, okay, I know what it feels like to be enlightened, to feel unconditional love, to see the world as part of myself. So therefore, that's enough. You know, I'm now an awake person. And then there's the other attitude of, I'm so unqualified for all this. You know, maybe I had a moment when it felt right, but now here I am just all in my gnarly mind and my reactivity, and I'm so far away from the truth. So we need to walk a middle path where we, we are very much practicing to experience ourselves in the most expanded way possible. At the same time, we're not feeling that because we have a lot of thoughts or because we blow it a lot or because we're not skillful, that that means that we're hopeless. So you need to have enough confidence in your capacity to experience truth and enough tools to turn yourself towards it while at the same time being willing to do the, the work that as, as humans on this planet we need to do in daily life to take care of ourselves, to be relationally skillful. We walk the path holding our daily mundane growth process and our spiritual growth process together, not trying to bypass the things that we have to do to live responsibly in the world by, you know, not trying to escape into meditative states. And not getting so caught up in our worldly life that we forget that the real source, power, and joy of life actually only showers down on us when we're finding that juice inside.
0: Mm. Yeah, beautiful. So I just want to make sure that we talk a little bit about awakening Shakti. I know in your book you talk about goddess consciousness as something that's not strictly feminine or masculine, but a quality of consciousness that we can all access, a universal consciousness I'm interested to know how that contributes to our lives at this moment and to hear a bit about the divine feminine, the divine masculine, especially in the context of a non-dual awareness.
1: The book Awakening Shakti takes the mythology of goddess from the Indian tradition, which is a living tradition in which the Divine Feminine has been recognized and invoked and worshipped since primordial times to the present day. The thesis in Awakening Shakti is that the archetypal figures of deities are representative of energetic forces in the universe that are constantly present in the earth, in weather, in cosmic event, and which are also present inside the human personality. What I did in that book was tried to show people how connecting yourself to the energy of a particular goddess archetype, such as Durga, who's a strong warrior mother who exemplifies power in a particularly feminine way, or Lakshmi, who is a goddess of love, harmony, and beauty, and Kali, who represents revolution and change. The point that I experienced in my own practice and that I have tried to pass on to others is that the deity archetypes of the divine feminine and also of the divine masculine are present in the universe that we can tune into them, that we can recognize in ourselves the qualities of particular aspects of these archetypes, and that by realizing the divine qualities that are intrinsic in us and in our human personality, and connecting them to deities, it enlarges and enhances our sense of self in a very powerful way. For me, and I think for many women, the recognition of God as feminine is the very new thing, you know, because obviously we've lived in patriarchal cultures for a a long time. The deep understanding of the belief structures, certainly in Western culture, but also in Eastern cultures, is that we either see the divine as formless, pure consciousness and power in Indian culture, the name for God as the source, the heart of reality is such Ananda, beingness, consciousness and blissfulness, unconditional beingness, unconditional intelligence and unconditional joy. These traditions also say that that being awareness and joy, which is in us which can be found through meditation, and contemplation, also is held by these archetypal deity figures. And when we invoke them, they can show us our own love and power. They can help us. Of course, every religious tradition has figures, helpful figures, whether we call them angels or saints, you know, or Buddhas. In my tradition, we call them deities. And the unpacking of what feminine divinity looks like and feels like is one of the most significant things that as modern seekers, we are starting to recognize that there's been this tremendous sense of a splitting between spirit and matter and tendency has always been to say spirit is masculine and matter, the earth, the body is feminine. What was a huge recognition for me personally and what I try to teach to others is that masculine and feminine are the qualities of consciousness that we tend to call masculine and feminine. That is the qualities of dynamism and creativity and power and the qualities of stillness and pure presence, unconditional love. These qualities are not feminine and not masculine. They simply express themselves in different proportions in masculine and feminine bodies. But in the tradition that I teach from, the tantric tradition, there's a very deep understanding that the creative power that's at the heart of the universe, the power behind the Big Bang, the power behind all this manifestation is is actually feminine not in a gendered sense but in the sense that creativity is seen as an intrinsic quality of the feminine aspect of the divine Mm. and it's not that the masculine and feminine divine are separate they are completely one at that level of consciousness but at the highest level the divine masculine is the ground of everything the ground of being as the buddhists say Mm whereas the Divine Feminine is the powers that arise within that ground of being. So we could say the Divine Masculine is pure being itself with no attributes, whereas the Divine Feminine is pure becoming. It's that creative energy that makes everything happen. And when we understand that our creativity is feminine, whether we're in female bodies or in male bodies, it deeply changes our attitudes towards masculine and feminine towards energy and towards towards our own relationships to power.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're coming into some kind of balance these days that people talk about a rise of the divine feminine? Are we coming back into a unity between masculinity and femininity or what do you think is happening?
1: I think we're in the middle of a gender revolution that has enormous consequences, you know, at every level. And right now, it feels like we are in the revolution part of it. I've been involved in feminist movement since the 70s, involved in this process of the political and social equalization of women for the last 45 years. What I've seen is that it's it's very much a process of two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, depending on how you look at it. Women realize, oh my God, all the things I've been putting up with. And then there's this tremendous uprising of anger and intensity, as we're seeing in the Me Too movement, and rightly so. You know, we're talking about things that have been embedded in society that are extremely oppressive on so many levels and then there will be a backlash and the backlash will stop the revolution but also allow things to kind of be assimilated more deeply in the society it's a very much of a gradual process but i think we can see that the tendency is towards a deeper insight that all humans of all genders of all races of all classes are equally deserving of honor, respect, and rights. This is an idea that we thought we had figured out and are now realizing, okay, we partially had it figured out, but there's a lot more to do. So the social and political upheavals that we're experiencing now are part of the revolution that I believe is going to take us to a new kind of dignity. In the way we experience gender differences, racial differences, class differences, the recognition of the divine substratum of all human life, and in fact, of all life on this planet, is one of the things that can most quickly undo the reliance on our accustomed barriers between people. You know, if you can really see that there is one awareness acting as you and as me, and it makes you more. Open and intimate and willing to experience the depths in other people. There's a lot going on, and some of it feels painful, some of it feels over-the-top, and the backlash can feel very reactionary. There's certainly a lot of reactionary backlash going on in this country right now. The spiral is upward. It's towards greater wholeness, greater awareness, and you can really see it in the generational transformations that have occurred since, since my youth. My friends' children and their children all have clearly evolved. And that generational evolution has its messy qualities, its messy expressions, but generally the tendency is towards greater inclusiveness.
0: I like what you're saying, absolutely, that it is an upward spiral, and even if it's not linear, we can look back and see that there is shifts and changes toward a greater wholeness and a greater unity. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for your work. Thank you so much for what you do in the world and the wisdom that you shared with us today. If you want to know more about Sally Kempton, you can go to her website, www.sallykempton.com. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics here on KPFK Radio. My name is Liz Filippos. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you joined us. Until next time.